Thank you, worship team. And good morning, everybody. Um, my name's Kathy Haug. So glad you're out this morning around tables. It's good to be together. Uh, and feel free this morning. Um, there are obviously treats on the table, some coffee in the back. Um, and we're going to make a space where we're getting to interact a little bit this morning together. But I want to start by sharing a couple of memories. Um, I think particularly of a night, my junior year of college, I was walking back to my apartment after class at night, and it was one of those nights I remember, I looked up and caught a glimpse of the night sky, and it was one of those nights there were like a billion stars, it seemed like, in the sky, right? And this is Chicagoland, so this was strange. This was not a typical occurrence with all the light pollution, but I remember literally stopping in my tracks and gasping, thinking, wow, God, like you made all of these galaxies and stars and you know how many there are and you also, God, like you count the number and know the number of hairs on my head. You love me that much. I remember that moment. And not long after that, uh, as a relatively new follower of Jesus, I remember one of the first times that I kind of plucked up the courage to talk to my friends and confess to friends and my university staff worker and mentor at the time some places of sin and struggle in my life. And I'm not talking about the like nice, pretty sins. I'm talking about the, I've never said this out loud, the things I thought or did type of sins to my friends, right? And I was terrified of how that would go. And yes, it mattered that those friends and mentors held my story and prayed for me and spoke forgiveness over me and said they'd walk with me, that mattered. But what I remember about that confession time was how strangely like, free and light I felt. Like I had just named some places of such incredible shame that I thought I would feel like a revulsion with myself or, or experience that. And no, I felt so free. And I thought, this is the God that I'm learning about who even in sin loves me and died for me. And I felt it to my bones. And I think, I hope that many of us have memories or moments like that where we've experienced God's love. And one of the reasons I love doing college campus ministry and working often with new believers is that I get to hear the stories of how they're often experiencing that kind of love for the first time. Um, I was recently at our missions convention that InterVarsity hosts called Urbana. And some of you have asked me recently, like, what were some highlights from that gathering? And I love telling the story of a young woman named Lily. Um, so the thing about Urbana is that, you know, we're gathering and we're hearing about God's global purposes, like how the gospel is spreading to every people group and nation and language. And it's this kind of opening, you know, this mind-expanding vision of the kingdom. And yet in the midst of that convention, it never fails. There is story after story of how God meets individual students in these profoundly intimate and personal ways. And so Lily is a student. She went to the prayer ministry room one afternoon, and the prayer minister meeting with her had this sense that what Lily needed was a parental blessing. 
And the staff thought, I'm going to go find someone who's a little older to pray. And every prayer ministry in the room was booked. It was packed. And so the staff had to leave the room and was like, can someone come pray? And found someone who was equipped, though it wasn't their job, you know. Um, And they come in to pray. And Lily looks up, and when she sees this man coming toward her to pray, she just starts weeping because this man looked exactly like her father who had died two years before that. And it's just like the Lord knew that Lily, as she shared, she's like, what I wanted at the deepest part of me was this word of blessing from my dad. And Jesus saw her and loved her and gave her that sweet, sweet gift. So what are the stories in your life? The moments or the manners in which God reveals how loved you are. You know, we talked about at our tables about something we love about God. But when has God shown his love for you? When have you experienced that? And I want us to take a minute. Tim's going to put on a little music for us. We're going to have a minute to just reflect on that question. When was the time you experienced God's love? And I'm just praying that a memory will come to mind whether you've lived, you know, five years, 10 years, or 90, right? Some moment or memory or way that you've experienced God's love will come to mind. All right, so in quiet, let's consider that question together. (laughs) I'm confident that was not enough time (laughs) to hear all the stories around the table. Um, But as you're finishing, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing. That's an act of worship, right? As we remember and we speak, we testify about how God is revealed and mercifully allowed us to experience and taste his great love for us. And it honors one another. So I'm confident if you shared that what you shared was a blessing to your table as well. So thank you. Um, It's important to keep these stories in the front of mind in this series as we're talking about flourishing in relationships. Because if you recall, the whole premise that we're working and operating under is that all flourishing relationships are flowing from the circle of love, right? From God's very essence, which is relational and is love and is love toward us. So as Tom said last week, you know, God is the source The Trinity is kind of that blueprint, and Jesus comes as the example and expression of that great love. But the trick is that if we don't actually believe or we grapple and wrestle to believe that God is love, and that the guidelines and invitations for our relationships are good, if we don't actually believe that, it all falls apart, right? And so we ask, do we we really believe that those invitations for us are good, right? For our relationships, for our sexuality, are those good? Is that coming from a place of great love, from God's essence? Um, Pastor Kevin used a quote in the other room last week from Dallas Willard, and it goes like this. It says, deeper than the fact that God loves us is this. God is love, right? He wills nothing but what is good. That's God's essence. And it explains why he loves us even when he's not pleased with us or even loved by us. And But this is both beautiful and challenging, right? Because it is in our human relationships that in many ways we experience our incredible capacity for immense joy. 
And it's also in our relationships that we experience the depths of our capacity to experience human misery and suffering. Right? They're both true. And whether that's in what those relationships are or what they are not. And so many of us, right, we have these wounds, we have these places of shame or tenderness, and we struggle to believe that God is love, that his essence toward us is good and loving. And guess what? There is a word for that because it is not a new human grappling. And the word is up on the screen. The word is theodicy. Can you say that word with me? Theodicy. All right. So that word, theodicy, um, is made up of two words. Theos, that means God. The second half, D-I-C-Y, that's from the Greek that means judgment or um, verdict or trial. And so literally, theodicy is justifying God or the vindication of God. And it's this whole uh, field of philosophy that grapples with the reality of God and the existence of evil. Right, So in light of the evil we experience in the world, but a belief in God, how can God be just and holy and good and loving toward us, right? So um, one of the kind of most well-known statements of this was actually written by a philosopher centuries before Jesus was born and ministered. Epicurus was his name. And Epicurus wrote this simple set of stanzas. Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing, then he's malevolent. Is he able and willing, then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing, then why call him God? Right, so centuries before God comes down and incarnates in Jesus, people were wrestling, right? And it won't go away to this day, right? It's a deep human question. And Epicurus, you know, the way he approached this was he thought that the height, the goal of humans should be this absolute peace where there's a complete absence of all mental, emotional, or physical distress and need. And the first thing that needed to happen was he needed to see people released from their fear of the gods. So he believed in the gods, but this, actually, he said they're far off, they're uninterested in the affairs of humans. He believed in them. Right? And this persistent, whether many gods are one, this thinking and worldview still persists and helps some people make sense of that tension. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to make a case theologically or philosophically around theodicy. That's not really the talk I was asked to give. But I do think it's important to acknowledge that that wrestling informs our conversation about our relationships because at the heart of it, if we struggle to believe that God is love and is intense and plan and invitations for us in our life, including all of our relationships and our sexuality, if it's hard to believe that those are loving and good, then we will carry that in and throughout our lives, won't we? We can kind of ascend to that basic point, right? And we can probably recognize that tension in ourselves or in the lived experiences and stories of our friends and have compassion for that. Sometimes this is actually a misunderstanding of what 
true love, what that agape love really is and what it's not. And we are going to go to Corinthians, the first Corinthians 13 chapter. That's going to be our text today. Um, Before we get there, and you're welcome if you'd like to open up your scripture or pull out your phone now, but before we go to chapter 13 and work on that a little bit together, I want to tell you a little bit about what Paul writes before that in the 12th chapter to set up our text from today. So Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and this is a community that is struggling to flourish in all kinds of their relationships, right? Across the board. And in particular, at this section, he's talking about they're even struggling to relate to each other in their spiritual life, in their worship life. They're kind of grappling about the different spiritual gifts and which ones are better and more honorable, which ones they should strive and hope for. And it's getting messy. And so Paul gives this beautiful image that they're meant to hold, not just around how they relate as worshipers of Christ, but in all matters. And it's the image of the human body. And so in chapter 12, in that text, he starts off and he says this. He says, just as a body, right, a human physical body, it's one, the one body, it has many parts, But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. That's verse 12 of chapter 12. We were all baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Right? This might sound familiar. Now, the next part, he goes off and he riffs on this a little. He's like, you know, your foot can't say to your hand, I'm not a hand, so we don't belong to each other. Like, you don't belong here, or I don't need you. You're not really a part of the body. It's ridiculous, right? And he says things like, you can't be all eyes. That would be silly. That doesn't make any sense. It wouldn't function. We need all the differences in our parts, right? And he likewise, he says, you actually, not only are parts we think you know, weaker, indispensable, but we actually should show special honor to the parts that might be overlooked and unappreciated, right? So it's this whole theology, actually, of how we're to relate to one another across a myriad of differences, not just in spiritual gifts, but you remember he said things like, we are Jew and Gentile, slave and free. So he's talking about many different expressions of difference in the people of God, Right, so he names ethnic differences, right? So ethnic and cultural differences. He names enslaved and free, socioeconomic, social status differences. There's all kinds of other things we can imagine might be included across this range of body diversity, the many parts, right? We need each other, the young and the old. We have charismatic and they need the reserved folks in our mists. Blue collar white collar, and yes, to our point of our relationship series, married and single, gay and straight. And I want to pause for a minute, you know, even as I'm using language, as we're learning about um, sexuality and faith, as we've been um, learning from Dr. Sprinkle, and we're in community around learning here on Sunday mornings and in different groups and classes, I want to make a quick note about language, right? Because as we're talking about these things, it's important to remember, we might actually be using language really differently. 
And we want to encourage everybody to not make assumptions about how people might be using phrase or language, but to always ask for clarity, right, about what a person's intent is in using a word. So, for example, um, this was an exhortation for us out of the conference a couple weeks ago. And um, in conversations about sexuality and gender identity, um, especially this can be um, something we need to clarify with graciousness to each other. Um, I, some of you have said you were hoping we would do a little more work on Sunday mornings around the topic of gender identity. Just as a side, we're not going to get to go there a lot in this setting as we're talking together over the coming weeks, but it is a really important conversation, and I know there's a range of experiences in the room and questions. So just to say, I want to make myself available, and I know leadership and teaching team would love to talk to you about your experiences or questions there. Um, and even as a side note, I put some of my own just personal business cards back by the coffee and the, the Bible card. If you ever just want to talk with someone more privately about your experiences or questions, we're here and we want to walk with you. But back to the point of language, you know, I, I talked about married, single, gay, straight, and what I want to clarify there is when I'm saying gay or straight, what do I mean? So what I'm saying there is simply people among us who in their experience of the world, and particularly their attractions, those are people consistently either attracted toward others of the same sex or the opposite sex. Okay? That's all I'm saying when I use that language of gay and straight, most commonly probably used language of the day. So in the coming weeks, we're talking about all of these different experiences in the body of Christ, in the people of God, and we're trying to grapple and believe that what the scriptures teach is really good news from the one who is love itself. And where we're going from here, Darren is going to take us next week um, into a time talking about what the scriptures teach about marriage. And then we're going to get to hear from many of us in the room about our, the experiences that are varied around singleness and what that is like in our community and beyond as followers of Jesus. And lastly, we're going to consider what if flourishing relationships and healthy stewardship of our sexuality look like for those among us who might experience same-sex attraction. And I'm going to urge you, come to all of them, right? Let's not do this, well, that one applies to me, that one it doesn't really apply to me, or this one interests me, because we're a body, right? Paul just said it. We actually are all impacted, even if it's not our personal experience, right? And we need each other. So friends, if the people in our body that are married are flourishing, guess what? We're all flourishing. And if they're not, we are not. And if those among us who are single are suffering as they're patronized or overlooked or inappropriately pitied, guess what? We all suffer. But if we're included in full fellowship and spiritual family, we all get to rejoice and are well together. Are you tracking, right? Same with our friends among us who might experience same-sex attraction. If there is shame and marginalization, if folks are undervalued, we're all dishonored. It's all of us. We're in it together. And we don't get to say, well, I'm uncomfortable with that part. I don't want to deal with that. Because we need each other. We're interdependent. And when some of us flourish, we can all flourish. And when some of us are suffering, we are all suffering.
So Paul sets up that dynamic image, and I want us to hold that as we go into chapter 13 together. Because the transition into 13 is this. Paul says, and yet, I want to show you the most excellent way. Isn't that a great verse? I want to show you the most excellent way. Not just a good way, the most excellent. So we're going to chapter 13, and we're going to work around our tables a little bit. Here's what we're going to do. Now, this chapter is going to fill out for us what is love, right? What is this most excellent way of love that Paul is writing about, right? And describes the very essence of our God. So here is your task around your tables. You all have a big post-it, a giant piece of um, cardstock, right? And you have some markers. And what you're going to do is someone is going to write the word love at the top, or a big heart, whatever you want. And then you're going to make a line down the middle and two columns. What I want you to go is you're going to go through this 1 Corinthians 13 text, right? And you're going to make two lists. Anyone love a good list? I love a good list. They're so satisfying. Okay, two lists. What is love and what is it not? So an example from last week's text that Tom took us through in 1 John One thing love is, is it comes from God. That's what John said, it comes from God. What is it not? It's not that we loved God, so it doesn't come from us, right? It's from God, it's not that we loved God, that's what it's not. Now this Corinthians text, you guys got this, you're gonna do a great job. You're gonna have about four minutes and start in Corinthians, if you have time, you can look at the text from last week too and put as many things down those two columns as you can in the next four minutes On your mark, get set, go. So maybe you didn't quite get through all of it, that's fine. I bet you have, I'm seeing lists that look at least five to 10 long on each side, which is excellent. Maybe you have some things on your list of what it is, like patient, kind, rejoices with truth, protects, trusts, hope, perseveres. It's the greatest. From John, maybe it comes from God. It's shown by sending Jesus. It's fearless, right? Or it drives out fear. And on the other side, what are some things it's not? It's not envious, boastful, not proud, dishonoring, not self-seeking, not easily angered, doesn't record wrongs, it doesn't fail, right? It's not failing. From John, it's not that we loved God, it doesn't delight in evil, it's not afraid, right? These are some beautiful lists, right, that remind us true things about the nature of this love, both that is God's essence toward us And that as his body, we're invited to embody to one another in all expressions of our relationships. Right? It's a beautiful list. And what I want us to do as we're going through these next few weeks and these specific expressions of relationship that we're going to be digging into, I want to keep these in mind, right? And the reality is the church has not always lived this out well, right? My guess is we can all agree with that. We've not always lived this out, corporately or personally well. Sometimes we have misused scriptures to lay heavy burdens on people, and we've called them love. But, for example, love, what do we know? Love is not abusive, right? Love does not affirm shame, right? As a healthy stewardship says, it's high, it'd be more comfortable if you just hid those things from us. That's not love, Right? There's a lot of things we've spiritualized that actually aren't in the scripture, but this 
is a beautiful picture of what love is and what it's not, which together can help better inform our convictions and our behaviors. Dear friends, we're invited to be friends and family for one another, a spiritual family that is a body that carries loads together, burdens, dreams, hopes, joys, right? And that makes this good and loving way of Jesus not only livable for those who have wondered, is it really livable, but it can make it beautiful. So as we close, I want you to look over your list once more. And I want you to just notice kind of what's one of those qualities of love, what it is or what it's not, that you are just drawn to, that you long to embody more fully. You would love for someone to say, that marks my relationships with my friends or family, with my neighbor. Look at that list and just what's one or two of those qualities that jump off the page at you? Become aware of that for a moment. Worship team, you can kind of start to make your way to the stage. But as, friends, as you are looking at those qualities and maybe the one or two that's like, oh, I just, this. I want to both know this more of God's love to me and embody it to others. I want you to keep in mind how 1 Corinthians, this text at the end, um, wraps up and goes into the next chapter. Because Paul says this, in culmination, in the beginning of 14, he says, follow the way of love. Right? And literally it means run after it, chase it. So this quality of love, what it is or isn't, that you sense an invitation, run after, run after it. And as we think about that in our expressed relationships with each other over the coming weeks, remember maybe the story you shared at the beginning, right? That experience of God's love. And now God's love is running after you. Right? It is chasing you. It is pursuing you. Tom reminded us from this um, icon, this Rublev image, that that square at the bottom is like that mirror that we're reminded to see ourselves in it, right? And I thought, even for myself this week, I'm going to make a note, like, any time that I catch my reflection in a mirror, in a surface, that I'm going to remember how the way of love is running after me. And I want to reflect that in running after love in my relationships with others. And so my encouragement to you practically in the days ahead is to prepare for the coming weeks of this series that I mentioned are ahead. And some ways you can prepare is engage intentionally in some conversations with people who have really different experiences of life than you. Um, maybe different relational experiences, right? Different um, sexuality, um, different relational stories. And Willard also, we're quoting Willard today, um, he talks about how the first act of love is the giving of attention. And I love that quote, right? So give your attention to someone this week. And practice as you listen, that openness, that curiosity, and say things like, tell me more. Turn to your table, someone at your table, say, tell me more. Practice it, say it, tell me more. 
These are phrases we need to practice. Say, could you share more about what you mean by that? Try that one. Could you share more about what you mean by that? How about this one? I'd like to understand your experience better. Say that. I'd like to understand your experience better. Tell me more. Tell me more. Right? These are phrases that some of us do naturally, but some of us need to practice. So go to coffee time, right? Go to coffee time, grab a donut, and ask someone some great question. Maybe, you know, pace it. Let's, we'll use our social skills. Don't walk up to a stranger and be like, could you tell me about your sexuality? Like, don't do that. <laughs> but start a conversation, be genuinely interested, and say, tell me more, right? Let me pray for us. God, we are honored that you would invite us to be your body. That we could drink of the same one spirit. And in all our differences, our different stories and journeys and identities and experiences of life, that you knit us together. We want to embody and know this great love that we see here, what it is and what it's not. We want to know what's true and we need your help, Spirit, to believe that you are love and that your intent in all our relationships is loving and good. And that in the experience of your body, living that same love out that we can not only live it, but it could be beautiful. So empower us by your Spirit to be attentive, to be full of kindness and generosity and to reflect your great love in this world, even as we continue to long to know it ourselves. In your name, amen.